With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, welcome in. This is All Ball, the all basketball podcast on the Herd Podcast Network. And man, this is a good one. How do I know? Well, I just know. Um, I have two guests for you uh, on this version of All Ball. One is Adam Zagoria. He, if you know anything about hoops, you know Zags has his own blog, and I think he does an amazing job. Um, you can see him on SNY TV. You can read his work in the New York Times, or he has his own blog. He he covers high school, high school recruiting, college, pro. Like he's a he's a ball guy. You know, so I, I think you'll like um, some of the Q and A, including his thoughts on on UCLA basketball. I'll give you my thoughts in a second, and then. Rusty LaRue is is uh, my kind of featured long-form interview guest on this version of All Ball. Rusty was a great player, but um, more than anything, maybe the greatest modern-day ACC athlete ever. And, and by that, I mean Charlie Ward played football and basketball at Florida State and won the Heisman Trophy. So he was more decorated and obviously as a football player, um, more impactful, you would think. And then, of course, Charlie Ward played more in the NBA than Rusty LaRue. Rusty also played baseball, and Rusty set a bunch of NCAA records as a quarterback at Wake Forest. So he played in the NBA with the Bulls, was part of Michael Jordan's last championship team, uh, played obviously with Tim Duncan, Randolph Childress, played for Dave Odom, coached uh, with two different regimes, Dino Gaudio and uh, uh, Jeff Bezdelic at his alma mater at Wake Forest, and then... Um, had uh, and had the worst possible tragedy you can have as a parent happen to him when his son Riley tragically died at just 19 years old. We're, we're going to get to all of it with Rusty upcoming. So um, sit back, relax, and when you get done with this podcast, make sure you not only downloaded, you subscribed, and you rated, but send it to a friend. Like you're gonna, th- this is I-, I love doing this. I love that you've spent some time because in you know in order to get a podcast. 
you got to spend a little bit of time searching it out. And once you do, it's going to be a little bit of investment. So sit back, relax. I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, a couple of notes. One, you can always listen to the Doug Gottlieb show. That is 3 to 6 Eastern time, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, any of our hundreds of affiliates. We're also on Sirius XM. On XM, it's 203. Sirius is 217. That's 3 to 6 Eastern time, 12 to 3 Pacific. Or just go to foxsportsradio.com and you can find a local affiliate or download the iHeartRadio app. So there's how you can get me. And I'll put this out on my Twitter page as well. I had a Philip Lindsay interview that I think you're going to love. If you like great personal stories, you like the Philip Lindsay, who's a pro bowler as an undrafted rookie running back. First ever undrafted rookie running back to be a pro bowler in pro bowl history. Anyway, that aside, let me get to a couple of college basketball topics. Then I have one NBA thought for you. The college basketball topics. Let's start with UCLA. UCLA's basketball job is open. And one of the things that I've learned steadily as things have gone on, part of it is you establish relationships. I've covered Steve Alford. Um, he and I had butted heads when he was at Iowa. I covered him when he was in New Mexico, including their their upset loss to Harvard. I thought he did a great job in New Mexico. I thought it was a little bit of a weird hire at UCLA, but I thought, all right, maybe it could work. And whether it was not having Craig Neal Noodles on his staff, whether it's the fact that he never really fit into L.A. hoops, I actually thought they were better coached offensively and at times when he was at New Mexico, like, I don't think he's a bad coach. And I, I, I think he's a very good coach. Uh, but some of it is the college game has evolved some. And so some of his styles maybe didn't work as much. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work at UCLA. I don't like firing coaches midseason, but the team had, had seemed to have quit on him. And now UCLA has a chance to win a lot of games, a lot of games this year because Pac-12 is not great. And, Though they have young players, they have young, talented players. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they finish the year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and profess to know what Dan Guerrero is thinking or tell you specifically what Dan Guerrero should do. But I will tell you that I feel like I know more about UCLA basketball than most anybody who covers it on a national level outside, obviously, of Steve Lavin, who I work with at Fox. Steve is the head coach of UCLA. So um, even more so than Sean Farnham, who I, I like Farney a lot. We'll have him on the podcast. Farney played at UCLA. He started as a walk-on, became a team captain, a scholarship player uh, later on in his career. And Farney lives in L.A. and knows the UCLA posse pretty well. But growing up in Northern California, he didn't know it like I know it. Like my for people who know me, my dad was a former college coach, um, and we were extremely close to the Hazards. Um, whether it was Tutu Hazard, that's Rashid Hazard, who's now an assistant in the NBA, or Jalil Hazard, that's Doc, his older brother, who's a great uh, um, music producer. Um, they played with us in AU. We were season ticket holders. And then when Jim Herrick got the job, uh, my dad was really close with Jim and Mark Godfrey and Lorenzo Romar. And, uh, and then when Lav got the job, like, look, we were always kind of tight with UCLA. My sister was a cheerleader, brother went there. So I know a lot about the... The program is 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 interesting because on one on one hand you have the fan base that has the expectations of being competitive and successful at the level of the Dukes, the Carolinas, the Kentuckys, the Kansases of the world, and even Arizona, and yet they they don't show up for midweek games or games that they feel like don't matter. Like there's a certain kind of arrogance to it. There there was I think there's always been kind of a university. Um, 
arrogance in UCLA. They they wouldn't redo Poly forever. They hadn't had a practice facility until what this last year and a half. And when you just and they weren't paying coaches, so you just show up and say, "Hey, we're UCLA." You know, why doesn't everybody love us? Why aren't we competing for national championships? Ben Hallen obviously came and went to three straight Final Fours, and even then, people didn't seem to totally love him or his style or appreciate him. And some of it was, you know, Ben turned off the wrong people in AU and what it's more complex. Maybe we'll do a whole podcast on UCLA basketball. It's really a fascinating thing. But 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 knowing the history of it, knowing how hard it is, but also knowing that they do have the financial resources, they have the arena done, they had the practice facility done. Like now should be a great time to hire a coach, and there's some pretty good ones available. Fred Hoiberg potentially Rick Pitino. Um, and I think there are other coaches that would, that previously wouldn't have looked at UCLA, but now maybe they will. The The issue is LA has, has evolved. Uh, for 20 years, you didn't have a football team, professional football team. Now you have two. And while the Chargers haven't hit, that still diverts a lot of your attention in the fall. USC football, while a mess, um, is a big thing because of how competitive and successful they were for 15 years there under Pete and under some of the people that followed him. UCLA football, Chip Kelly finally has a facility on campus, finally paid it a, a rate commensurate with the top level coach in the Pac-12. They, they weren't very good this year, but super young. And so even within the school, there's a lot of attention paid there. Um, students across the country have changed in terms of how much they watch and listen and pay attention to college basketball. Getting students to come to games is hard anywhere, even in college towns, let alone in L.A. And if you know about the diversity at UCLA, like, look, there's a strong international student base. That's not always easy to get them to come to a college game when you're playing Washington State. You know what I mean? Whereas when you're at one of those other legit elite programs, you turn the lights on, you say there's a basketball game and Fallgown Fieldhouse is filled or Rupp Arena is filled or Cameron Indoor Stadium is filled. Like it's kind of a happening and now you have LeBron in L.A., and the thought is that the Clippers are going to get maybe a Kawhi Leonard. And even for basketball fans, it's hard to get attention. So I think it's a better job in terms of the resources, but it's a harder job in terms of getting people to care than it used to be. It just is. I, um, I mean, I could go further. The, the, you know, One of the things that they've struggled with, Steve Alford struggled with, was chartering flights and while you may say hey you're in la you can fly nonstop to any one of these pac-12 cities you can but sometimes in the pac-12 you play on a wednesday and a sunday and going to class is in fact important so you know you've got to leave tuesday night and then you play wednesday night if you charter you could actually leave day of the game although most teams don't you leave tuesday night you get done with the game wednesday you fly back wednesday night you go to school Thursday, Friday, and then if you play Saturday, you leave Friday night. Or if you play Sunday, you don't leave until Saturday. You you only miss one day of class. Whereas if you're going to fly commercial, you you got to fly. You fly up Sunday night, and then you play the game Wednesday, and then you travel back Thursday. You don't go to class until Thursday afternoon, where most kids don't have class, and then Friday. It's it's just different, and the big time programs all charter. They just do. The, the big-time ones, and a lot of the smaller-time ones, the higher-level, what used to be mid-majors, the Creightons of the world, the Xaviers of the world, they charter now. Why? Because class important, time is important. Um, and some of this has been screwed up by the new TV deal, where it used to be you'd go and play Oregon and Oregon State on a Thursday and a Saturday. So you travel up on a Wednesday, you do Thursday. Friday, you have you know your tutors, 
you you fake like you're going to class, whatever. You do all your stuff there, and then you play your game Saturday. You come back Sunday. Now the schedule is so mishmash; it's very very difficult. So there's still some challenges there in terms of travel and budgeting. And will they pay assistant coaches? And you might be sitting there. You might sit there and say, "Well, why does that matter?" Well, look, if you're an assistant coach at Oregon State and you make two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. Like, wow, that's a lot. At Oregon State, you get a nice house and you can live 10 minutes from campus. So you're always around. You're always available. If you're at UCLA and you make $250,000, $300,000, you can't afford to live close unless you're renting an apartment or renting a house. You know, even Steve Alford lived, you know, with bad traffic, 35, 40 minutes away from campus, which is just outside of Bel Air, right next to Brentwood, right next to Beverly Hills. Like it's a very, very nice and west side of L.A. is very expensive area. The difference between that and, say, a USC, USC, you might make the same amount of money as an assistant coach. And USC is an inferior part of town in south central Los Angeles. But you can live in downtown L.A., which is now hip and happening. And if you need money for a down payment on a house or a condo that you want to buy, USC being a private school can give you an interest free loan. And so it becomes a better job because you can live better. And then when if you move on from USC, you sell your house, you make money, you pay back their interest-free loan, and then you've also made money in addition to the money you were making as, a, as an assistant coach. So it's a challenging job. I, I do this. Look, if I'm, if I'm UCLA, I, I, I take a shot at the moon, the stars, and the sun. Has Greg Marshall topped out at Wichita State? He would not have, he'd probably have a tough time adjusting a little bit to LA, you know, being a guy who uh, played college basketball in Virginia in Division Three, and then worked his way up and was dominant at Winthrop. And uh, after being at College of Charleston as assistant in, you know, Wichita State, like it's a, it's a bit of a lifestyle adjustment, but he's a great basketball coach. Uh, there have been talk of, hey, why not Jay Wright? I don't know if Jay Wright says no. He's won two national titles and hell, I think he had. Had uh, Dante DiVincenzo and and uh, and Spellman come back, they might win another one this year, or at least compete for another one this year. So he's built a juggernaut there. But do you feel like, hey, I've topped out. I've, I've climbed the mountain twice, conquered the mountain twice. Why not try L.A.? LeBron did. Why can't I? I those are calls I would make. Hell, I'd call Tom Izzo. Why not? Hey, you want to come out here and, and why don't you take a shot at UCLA and changing our culture? It doesn't mean that those guys are going to say yes, but the idea that we fall back on, I think Patino's the best modern-day college basketball coach there is. Won at Providence, embraced the three-point shot, won at Kentucky, dominant recruiting, incredible depth, won at Louisville, um, when, you know, and, and did so when Kentucky was good. So I think he's amazing. Uh, and I would, I would kick the tires on that. The problem with it is the perception of that, and you have to understand – UC schools, the re- between you know the board regents, um, I I just I don't know, I don't think you know, PCU, which is a movie, is there's a lot of PCU in UCLA, and so I don't see it happening. But from a basketball perspective, Patino's amazing. He's an amazing coach, and uh, he's brought in incredible assistant coaches wherever he's been. It, it'd just be a fascinating thing to see. But if I'm UCLA. I don't sell myself short. I I try every I, I try all the big name coaches that might not be happy where they are, and and see Quinn Snyder with the Utah Jazz. I know he failed ultimately at Missouri, but he's he's learned, he's matured, um, he's been remarried, and he's a great coach with the Jazz. Now the timing might not work out, 
in addition to Fred Hoiberg, who everybody and people are going to say Earl Watson. I'm not against Earl Watson. The idea that you would have all the recent alumni, that whole basketball family reunited and energized in recruiting. Like I, I'd, I'd be willing to see that. But I, I got to see if I'm Dan Guerrero, the, the plan. What's your staff like? How's it going to work? And then you have to you have to get Casey Wasserman on board. You have to get all those other donors on board because you only win in college sports when everyone's pulling in the same direction. President, board, AD, coaches, etc. And once if you can get that, I think UCLA, while it will never be what it was, can get back to being competitive nationally. And there's no reason that they in Arizona can't be at the top of the Pac-12 every year. Now, will they fill the arena? Some of that does fall on the shoulders of UCLA students and UCLA's fans. They're hypercritical of the coaches. They always have been. You grew up in Southern California, and they didn't like Hazard. They didn't like Herrick, and they want to get rid of Herrick. People forget that had Tyus said he not made that running layup against Missouri, Herrick gets fired the next day. That happens. But they did. They go on to win the national championship, and then ultimately uh, they ended up getting him for you know falsifying some expense reports or some other nonsense. They just never loved and embraced Herrick. And as good as Ben Howland was, there was a lack of love and embrace there. Just no one's been able to kind of figure that place out. And we'll see how Murray Barto does the rest of the season. He's a really good man, and obviously his name carries a ton of weight there. And they've played better since he's been there, uh, although mo- I think most of you know my brother's an assistant in Oregon State. I do hope the Beavers sweep this weekend, and then I get a chance to see undefeated Pac-12 Beavers take on Arizona State this upcoming Thursday on Fox Sports 1. This is the All Ball Podcast. Quick thought on the NBA, and then we'll get you uh, to our guest for this week. On Wednesday night, Kyle Kuzma went for 41 points in just three quarters against the Lakers. We do this thing when we evaluate players. And I've obviously recently come under a little bit of fire. Steph Curry uh, wrote a piece on the Players' Tribune, and it talked about how when he came out for the draft, I undervalued him. And it's, it's accurate. I did think Johnny Flynn had a greater ceiling. I thought Johnny Flynn could be, could be the next Kevin Johnson. And look, no one wants to mention that Johnny Finn played in the triangle, which is a terrible setup for how he plays. And Johnny Flynn hurt his hip. And, it, you know, that's why he doesn't play basketball anymore. Uh, but I thought Flynn and I thought Ricky Rubio had a higher ceiling. I did think that that Jeff Teague was a really good player and that he was more athletic, had a, had a better first step. Look, the league evolved. Steph got better. I was wrong in my evaluation. Not as wrong as the Sports Center tweet would make it out to be if you actually go back and read my work. But like, look, sometimes you miss guys in evaluation. Totally fair. Um, but I, I think one of the other, the, 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 the biggest mistake we make as guys that try and evaluate what a player will be in the NBA, and uh, listen, guys make this mistake in evaluating high school players and what they'll be in college as well, is work ethic and role and what they're, you know, as Kyle Kuzma is the example. So Kuz plays at Utah and he plays inside and he was a post-up player. He wasn't allowed to shoot three-point shots. And so while he's continued to improve and become a dynamic scorer in the NBA, he's got to become a better defender. I don't know if he'll become a better passer, but he has to be a little bit more willing of a passer. But he's a dynamic scorer inside and out. He's tremendous. He hasn't. He didn't shoot college threes. Now he's shooting pro threes. And his work ethic, which I do think people understood, and that's why he went in the first round of the draft. His work ethic is so good, so incredibly locked in, that 
I will guarantee this. By year five, he'll be a 41, 42% three-point shooter. He just hasn't done it. But when we evaluated Kyle Kuzma, we thought, all right, he's 23 years old as a rookie. This is kind of who he is, as opposed to 19-year-old kids like when Devin Booker came out or Terrell Harris came out. We thought they had more room for growth. Even at 23, you can have room for growth if your style of play limited what you were able to do and what you worked on. So it, it does make for a really hard evaluation. And Steph is another example of that because he only played point guard one year at Davidson. And uh, in addition to the fact the role of the point guard has changed since he's been in the NBA and changed based upon how he played, it wasn't that he wasn't able to. It's that, I think it was Jason Richard, was an outstanding point guard, a borderline pro before he got hurt point guard. And that's why he was playing the two. But not having evaluated him on what he... Uh, could work on and what he can prove on ultimately was my fatal flaw in that evaluation. Does that make sense? Hope it makes sense. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So this week's guest is, I think, inarguably, in modern sports in the ACC, definitely in in Wake Forest history, you think, hey, who's the greatest modern-day athlete? And people will point to, obviously, Michael Jordan, uh, two-sport athlete, people point to Charlie Ward, also in the ACC. Or, of course, when you mention Wake Forest, everybody thinks of Tim Duncan. What about a guy who played and starred in three sports in college at Wake Forest, including setting passing records in the ACC and the NCAA, and, of course, then playing in the NBA in basketball. He's Rusty LaRue. He's kind of joined us on the All Ball podcast. Rusty, how are you? I'm great, Doug. Great. How about yourself? Uh, I'm well. Um, uh, have you ever heard, put it, had anybody put it into context that way, that you very could well be the greatest modern-day ACC athlete? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, every now and then somebody will kind of joke with me about that because, obviously, 
you know me well, and I, I'm not the I'm not a physical specimen, um, but uh, but I did I had a good career, so I, I, I've you know obviously done a lot of things some people haven't done. So all right, so you grew up grew up in in Greensboro, North Carolina. You're all state in three sports. What was the process like of deciding? Hey, I, I want to try and play three sports in college. Well, you know, I mean, I just grew up playing multiple sports. I think everybody did back, you know, it's a lot harder now, but back when I was young, I started, you know, basketball and baseball when I was six and football when I was eight. And it was just kind of something that was natural. You know, I went season to season. And uh, um, when the time came for college, I got recruited by a lot of schools, more big schools for football, um, but basketball kind of, I don't know if it always been my favorite, but it was something I didn't really want to give up. And when I was actually in high school, the um, and I committed to Wake actually before my right into my junior year um, on a football scholarship. And um, part of the agreement was I would definitely play basketball. Um, and after I committed to that, the actual baseball coach would come out and watch me play some uh, my junior year and my senior year. He said, "Hey, if you ever want to play baseball, we'd love to have you as well." So. Um, it was kind of one of those things where I knew I was going to play too, but it, you know, kind of toyed with the idea of playing a little baseball as well. Okay, so you get to Wake Forest. How do you how do you do it, right? Because I was I was actually talking to my son uh, last night because I knew we were we were going to talk, and he was saying, "Dad, what what sport should I play?" He plays, you know, basketball, baseball, football, tennis. Um, yeah, and uh, and done a little wrestling before, whatever. And I was like, well, we'll just kind of try and figure it out as you go, as you get older. How'd you do it? In co- it seems like a crazy juggling act. Yeah, I mean, it was I just, I don't know. I, mean, I probably couldn't have done it many places other than Wake, just because it's such a small school. Um, and I, you know, and I grew up 20 minutes from campus. So I had a lot of family and friends and supportive people that, you know, I wasn't being shipped off across the country. So I was right here in my backyard with family, friends support and for me it was just kind of you know getting up every day and doing what was on my calendar i had great coaches who let me play the sport i was in i i, uh, I, I look I, I understand all that we're like okay so you show up like you have to show up what uh summer for football right I mean, you have, oh yeah 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 i mean oh. I, I i was in summer school all summer getting ready for football but you know i was you know basketball coaches weren't you know they understood when i was a football they let me be with football now you know obviously i got in the gym some on my own for hoops so i wouldn't be behind but you know football had me during football and literally the day football ended um heck my senior year i played in an exhibition basketball game the same day i played in my last football game you know so when it ended i went to basketball and football left me alone other than telling me to eat so i wouldn't lose weight (laughs) and then uh when, when basketball ended, I, I went right back to football. And, and actually, the year I played baseball, I, I had to do spring football first. And so I didn't get to go out to baseball until spring football was over. And you guys are good at basketball, too. So you're playing basketball, you know, deep into March, right? It's not like, yeah, it's, not like yeah. you're, it's not like you're over at the ACC tournament. Like, all right, well, now I can wrap it up and then we get ready for spring football. Like that, that I mean, I like, listen, this is on a much lower level. When I was in high school, my freshman year, we go to the state. We go to the state tournament in basketball. We get done. Of course, in California, you start playing baseball in January. We get done, and mm-hmm. it's nearly the first of March, and kind of everybody had positions, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's and and again, it's not like you're playing a position where you're like, oh, we'll stick him at wide receiver at tight end. You're playing quarterback, right. where you have to know everything that's going on. Like that seems like, and and you're also an excellent student. That seems like a lot of mental gymnastics. It, it is. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I'd say it was easy. I mean, I guess I, I I felt like it wasn't 
too difficult because it's something I had done a lot, but I didn't have a lot of, you know, I didn't do a lot of extracurricular activities either. I was pretty much, you know, books and ball. Um, I was, my current wife, we started dating my freshman year of high school, so I wasn't, I wasn't spending a lot of time on that. Uh, you know, I, I was pretty much, that's like I told my, my, my boys, you know, it was books and ball for me. And um, obviously football being on scholarship, that's, that took up more of my time. Um, it, I, I don't think I probably was as effective basketball player in college as I could have been if I would have only focused on basketball. Um, when I was able to focus just on basketball, obviously I had a chance to, to play professionally and win a championship with the Bulls because, you know, I grew a lot as a player, you know, when I was able to focus on it individually. And because football leads right up to basketball, and when basketball ended, it went right back into spring football. You know, that was what paid the bills and put, had me on scholarships, so I pretty much had to spend the most time on that. Um, okay, so when you're playing at Wake Forest, what was Dave Odom like to play for? You know, Dave is, is, is a great coach, first of all. Um, you know, he was great for me because he was a very – um, kind of no frills guy. I mean, I, I was a, I was a, a, a hard worker and put in my time. I mean, I didn't play hardly any as a freshman. I played, uh, you know, sparingly as a, as a sophomore. I was the sixth man as a junior, and then I started as a senior. And um, his style of play um, was was a good fit for me. Um, obviously, we had some great players: Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, um, and so I was a good key piece to go along with us but i just enjoyed he's a great guy um you know as you've probably been around him some great storyteller um you know and just a it's a good good fit for me personally as a player um when i was coming through college what was what was tim duncan like in college tim you know tim's a tim's a worker i mean tim's quiet um just kind of one of those guys who keeps to himself but unbelievably com, you know competitive and and um, just freakishly skilled, at, like most great players are. Just his hand-eye coordination and um, ability to see things and do things. Um, you know, he spent a lot of time with me and my family because you know, being from the Virgin Islands and me living 15 minutes away, he spent most Thanksgiving and Christmases at our house, along with Ricky Peral, who was from Spain, and um, just a down-to-earth guy. You know, I mean, not 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 flashy, um, but but just. Golly, I mean, you look at the box score at the end of the game, you'd be like, man, you know, 29 and 19. And uh, you try to think of a play that stood out during the game. Maybe there was a, you know, eight uh, ESPN highlight, and you're just like, nope, he just put in work and wore his hard hat and brought his lunch pail and put it in, uh, did work. Did, did you know when you played, like, on, honestly, right? And you are an incredibly honest person. Did you have any yeah. idea he would go down as one of the all-time greatest players? Uh, probably not until about, my going into my junior, probably about my junior year, um, really because you know as a freshman we you saw all the glimpses, but he was just you know kind of this young kid, and I mean, but I would get to see him and pick up. We'd play pick up, and he would bring the ball up the court. You know what I mean? By I mean just he stuff he probably wouldn't do in the game because it was a little out of character and it was you know maybe too much of a highlight. But probably about the, his junior year, I knew he would go down as one of the best basketball players at wake ever um did i know he would have such a long nba career you, you know as well as anybody that's a crap shoot man so many times it's where you go what team you get with i mean he would have been successful anywhere but getting a chance to go to san antonio and be in one place and that place being such a fit for his personality too i think contributed to it um randolph childress you were 
What, were you, you were on the team when you guys made the run through the ACC tournament, and who was it who he made fall down, and then he did the finger to get have him get up? Jeff McInnes. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, touche, Jeff, right? It was Jeff McInnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, golly, that anybody who's a basketball fan, if you had a chance to watch that ACC tournament, you know, he was just unbelievable. You know I mean? Just uh, doing everything, scoring at will, um, pretty much unstoppable, um, and just uh, – you know that's a, that's a grueling you know week. You know I mean you play three straight days uh, and get some pretty good freaking players to be able to do that and and uh, withstand the uh, the pressure and intensity and, and what he put in was was pretty amazing. Why why didn't he, why wasn't he a better pro? You know that's a hard question. I, you know I think that Randolph um, is a extremely talented scorer. You know he's probably an under he's really at the NBA level he's kind of an undersized two guard. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe uh, but born before his time, like I, again, I, yeah, I, like I like six two you know, now, six two now. I I don't know if he if he shot it well enough from three, but I also think guys would shoot it better from three now uh, than they did going back then. But you know, like as, as long as you can, as long as you can guard, uh, if you can score and you can, you don't have to. It's a little bit more positionless. You don't have to be as much a one or a right. two. Combos combos seem to have a longer life now and get more minutes now. They do. And, I mean, obviously somebody comes down to where you go and who you get drafted by. And I think, you know, obviously the defensive end of the court is a big deal at that level. Um, but I also think for him, you know, uh, I think he went overseas and he was making great money and he was able to just be who he is, which is a great score, and, you know, didn't have a desire to come back and try it again. You know, I don't know that he ever really – after his first couple of years, he even tried to come back and make a roster. I think he found a niche and was making good money and, and decided to have a really long overseas career, which a lot of guys do. Um, so, uh, I mean, really for me, I think the only thing I could say is I think he was able to stay, you know, you kind of have to change. You have to kind of have to find a, there's not many guys who can keep the same role they have in high school and college. Right. right. And guys who have the same role in college that have an NBA. I mean, LeBron James. Yeah. You know, but most guys have to change their role as they go up a level. And some guys do it better than others. And some guys decide to have, you know, they don't want to change their role and maybe they can't play at that level with that same role. I mean, I averaged 25 a game in high school. I wasn't going to do that at Wake, you know. And so a lot of people ask how I had an NBA career. I was like, well, you know, I was, I didn't really have to change my role a whole lot in NBA from what I had in college. You know, I was a, 10-point-a-game guy, make open shots, dig in, defend guys, compete, um, be a heady player, and I was able to fill a roster spot out for a little while uh, in the NBA doing that. And I think maybe for a guy like Randolph or some other guys who've had great college players, Jimmer Fredette, another example. Yeah. You know, how come he's not in the NBA? Well, he can go to China and be the same player he was at BYU in China. Whereas when you play in the NBA, and this is sometimes we and we look, we do it in football where guys that are running backs, they don't have to do pass protection, right? They don't have to do some of those little things. Whereas when you get in the NFL, like you're gonna you're gonna have to play special teams if you if you're not a superstar, you're gonna have to play special teams. You're gonna have to be great on pass protection. You know, you're gonna have to be a, a gunner on on special teams in terms of uh, on on punt team in the in 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 the NBA or. You know, all of these guys, you know, they move around so that they can be the best player on their AAU team, their best player in their high school right. team, their best player on their college team. Then you get to the NBA and like, hey, look, here's what we want you to do. OK, we want you to play a quarter the minutes that you've always played. So you got to come off the bench mm-hmm. and be ready. Then you're going to have to play more efficiently than you've ever played in your life. 
from further out in the court, you're shooting the basketball against better competition, and you're playing games every night or every other night. Can you do it? And everybody thinks they can un- until they don't hear their name called, and they're going to, you know, you play 10, 15 minutes a night, and you get four shots, and you got to make two of them. That's really hard. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my last year I played, um, I played in the in the most of the year in the D League for Asheville Altitude. We won the turn, won the whole league with Joey Meyer, former DePaul coach, is our coach. I shot over fifty percent from three from the NBA, same NBA line we used in the league because I was playing every night. I was getting plenty of shots. You know, my career NBA three point percentage is under forty percent because it's totally different. You know, you, when you play fifteen or five or ten minutes. It's a little different when you're trying to fill a role and, and, and make the same number of shots that you get when you're playing all the time. Rusty LaRue joining me here in the All Ball Podcast. All right, so you go to the NBA. Uh, you excuse me. You, you go. Uh, you go undrafted. Um, you're in that. Right. Su- you're you're in that summer. And didn't you before you went to Paris? You played for. Would you play for USBL team? Who was the Carolina Cardinals play for? Yeah, it's it's a, it was just a little USBL team they yep. started. It was a summer thing in Winston Salem. You know, I didn't know if I was going to have any kind of career at that point. I was like, you know what, I make a little money, I get to keep playing. For me, at that point, when I decided just to go basketball, I knew I needed to, you know, play as much as I could. I got invited to Portsmouth, played pretty well there. I actually went to camp with Bulls my first year out of school. I got invited to camp, and uh, you remember uh, Clarence Gaines, was a sc- big yeah, house Gaines' son. Hey, uh, Clarence was a scout for the Bulls, and so he had seen me a lot being from Winston-Salem and invited me to camp, and they pretty much told me, you're not going to make the team, but we want to just take a look at you. Well, I got a call for this job, a, a month replacement job in Paris, um, basically the, de- the two days before camp started. So I was actually in Chicago for a day and decided to take the job. You know, the, the management of the Bulls were like, you know, it's great money. You're not going to make the team. You, you need to take it. I was married at the time already, had a kid at the time, and um, took the job to go over there and play for a month. So, um you know, I, I did play in that summer league with USBL for about, I guess it was about a three-month thing um, leading up to camp. Um, okay, so you come back, and the next year you're what? Then you're in the CBA in Idaho? Yeah, so actually I went over and played a year, uh, a month in Paris, and then, uh, you know, it was just a uh, – Sadell Threat was injured. I was filling in for him, and then – Sadell Threat. Sadell Threat, if he went um, left, he was in. If he, if he went right, <laughs> he was not making it. Yeah, I played with J.R. Reed former Carolina player was sure. on my team over there. And, uh, but I had a couple offers to stay overseas. You know, I was, a, like I said, married, had a nine month old son. And I was like, man, I, I've been in Paris for a month. I've seen, you know, I got two English channels, CNN and the cartoon network. I'm ready to come home and watch some ESPN and came home. But, you know, and at that point it was, you know, November 1st, there's no jobs, you know, all the CBA teams are full. So I sat around November, uh, December, and actually called Clarence Gaines in January and said, you know, I'm probably done. Um, you know, I, I got to go get a job. You know, I got a family to support. And uh, went down to Charlotte and interviewed with Anderson Consulting on a Friday. And I got a call that Friday night from the CBA team in Connecticut, the Connecticut Pride. With uh, it was actually um, uh, Pat Knight was the assistant there, uh, Bobby Knight's son. And uh, so I I was that close to being done playing. Um, and so I went to finished the year in the CBA and finished up the year strong and the Bulls invited me to summer league that next year. Um, and that's how I got back with the Bulls that next year. Um, okay. So you walk into the, your, your first game with the Bulls. I mean, this is, yeah. this is the Bulls, the Bulls, this is the best team yeah. on earth with the best player ever. Um, mm-hmm. what was it like? 
I mean, you know, kind of camp was surreal, and I was, I, you know, obviously what was just, you know, how it is when you go try out for a team. I, mean, I don't know how it is. I don't know how. I, I know how it is to try okay. and try out for a team. Okay, I don't yeah, know what so, it's like to try out for that team. Well, for for any NBA team, back when I was playing, they had twelve roster spots. Um, you know, three injured reserve spots, which were faux injured reserve spots, and there's twenty guys there. You know, competing maybe for one spot if there's even a spot open. Um, so who are the other who are, who are the other who are the other guy who are the guys that were in the pool uh, that you're competing against? I, I, I can't remember to be honest with you. Mind that rookie year, but Keith Booth was a rookie that year. Okay. He was their draft pick. Um, he ended up making the team. But I played pretty well in camp, and actually I got cut the two hours before the flight left for the first game. Okay. So camp ends, and Steve and Kerr had been banged up a little bit, and they cut me and just said, "Hey, if anything happens, we're going to call you up." And so. At that point, I decided to stay in the States, and I went to Idaho, to the Idaho Stampede. Sure. The, the only time I've ever been drafted was second to last in the, and second to last in the CBA expansion draft. So went to Idaho. You know, obviously the preseason, you're with the Bulls. I mean, it's like, it's like being with the Beatles. You know what I mean? You, you, we, anyway, everywhere we went, there were people there. Um, but I go out to Idaho, have no idea if I'm going to get called up. I played about actually was there about two weeks and then got a call from um, Jerry Krause, the general manager, um, and said that Steve Kerr had gotten hurt, uh, had hurt his knee, and they were going to have an MRI later that day to see if he was capable of playing. And if not, they were going to call me up. Well, we had a game. We had the first game of the year that night uh, for Idaho. So that was back before cell phones. So I went to the game and told my wife to stay home and wait to get the call. And she, she, uh, she walked in the arena and gave me thumbs up right before the game started that I got called up and you know my first game. Wait, so how'd them, you how'd like, you play? It, so he walks in. You I played great. I, I so I debated about just taking my uniform off and not playing, you know, because I'm thinking don't get hurt. You know, I mean, you just got you're getting called up by Chicago Bulls. Don't get hurt, but that's just not my personality. So I played. Now I didn't. I can't say that I ventured inside the three point line a whole lot <laughs> and wasn't diving on the force for any loose balls. But um, I actually great trivia question. I scored the first basket in Idaho Stampede history. I hit a three. Um, but I had like 12 points. And, uh, you know, after the game, packed up the crew, headed to Chicago and uh, joined the team. And we were actually just getting ready to head off for a West Coast road trip. And, uh, uh, you know, my first game I played in was at Phoenix against Jason Kidd and the Phoenix Suns. Man. All right. So yeah. what was Mike like? First, first you know, what, what did is, you what did you call him? Like when he walks up, like do you call him Mike? Mike. Do you call him MJ? Okay, I'd you call him Mike. Mike. Okay. okay, Mike. Yeah, Mike. And uh, for, I mean, in my opinion, the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, you know, I may be a little biased being a, from North Carolina and watching him play, but super competitive. I think everybody's heard that. Super competitive, unbelievable, um, unbelievable athlete. Six six. You know, long arms, big hands relatively small feet for his size. You know, I think he wears like a 12 or 12 and a half. Dang, like I could borrow his shoes? Wait, I could borrow Jordan's shoes? I wear a 12. I, I, I don't quote me on that, but I think he's, he's you know, he's not like a 16 shoe. Right, right, right. You know what right, I mean? Right. And uh, just, just, and I saw it, obviously I'm on the tail end of it in 98 um, toward the end, but just ultra competitive. You know, you've heard a lot of stories, but, you know, interesting story. So, you know, we go that whole year, and that's the year we beat Utah in the finals. And so, Leading up to that, we're up three games to one in Chicago. And I th- I'm pretty sure it was on a Friday night. We're playing to close out the finals. And, you know, we're playing in the parade, you know what I mean, because we think we're going to win. Well, 
Stockton alone, they come out and play well. Jordan has like 35, but we lose at home. And so we have to go to Utah and play in game six. And the next day we're having practice, obviously, before we get on the plane. And, you know, we get out there and Jordan comes in in his long, long, uh, long pants and low cut shoes. And we go about 30 minutes just kind of going over some stuff for the game. And then all the starters go sit down because they have to wait on the media to come in. And the rest of us who need to get some work in start playing round robin one-on-one. It's me, Keith Booth, Randy Brown, Scott Burrell. And Scott Burrell and MJ used to, uh, you know, play cards a lot together and talk a lot of smack. So Scotty started, you know, telling, saying, yeah, Mike, old man, stay over there. You don't want any of this, you know, um, kind of running his mouth. Well, the media comes in and Scott kept talking, you know, and so, Mike is too competitive to let it pass. And so we're going to like 25 or something, and we probably already were up to like 10 or 12. So he comes out and gets in line to play one-on-one with us. And this is in be- the day in between game five and game six of the NBA Finals. And starts going at it hard, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm a- he's going to roll his ankle on my foot, and then, you know, it's going to be my fault we lose, you know, we don't win the work championship because he's too too competitive to sit and watch us but has to get out there and play. Of course, he comes back and beats us and then mercilessly talks smack to Scott with all the media watching for the rest of the day. But that's just a that's just who he is. Okay, you know, so what, what, what people forget about Game 6, okay, they they all remember the follow-through, and and mm-hmm. to those of us who are paying attention, he was he had a bunch of shots that he was short that night, and he said one of the, re- the reason he held the follow-through was to, to kind of to finish that shot. But what they forget was, I believe he had bucket, then free throws. Then he got the steal, right? He stole the ball steal. from Carl yep. Malone, and then he went one on one. So he had like the last, I'm going to say, six or eight points uh, in a in a in a back and forth game, and then had the big steal to get you the chance to have the game winning bucket. What was what, yep. what 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 was your memory of that kind of final bunch of possessions in Utah? Really, the last couple of possessions of his career. Yeah, to me, I mean, I was sitting on the end zone right there. Uh, I was literally right right there where Carl Malone was when he stole it. And I think, you know, the game's going and, and it's it's one of those where it's a tight game and you kind of see Jordan start to – you can tell when he sort of starts to take over. And I just remember when he – seeing him steal it and then not for a second did anyone on our sideline think timeout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's got the ball and it's just like, okay, here we go. And sure enough, you know, he, he, he makes the play, which – don't know that anyone was surprised, but um, you know, I just remember he actually hit on the far end, just um, not really having a doubt that he was going to make it. I mean, just knowing, knowing that he's he rises to that moment when it comes. What what is that? What is that moment like? To, okay, so so for, for people who don't remember, like okay, this is the second time that the Bulls and the Jazz meet up in the NBA Finals, right? Because the year before was the yep. flu game. The second time, it's in Utah. Places nuts. I mean, absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. This essentially is the last shot of his career. Last shot of his career. I, I know he came back with the Wizards, but if anybody remembers, that was he went into management and he tried to fix it himself and right. whatever. Um, the last shot of his career, he's got Brian Russell on him, who um, my dad actually coached a couple of times, Cleveland High School in Southern California before, before he went to Long Beach State and played for Seth Greenberg. Um, yeah. What what's that what's that like to to watch it like to me it's I still feel like I see it in slow motion it was on TV you mm-hmm. were there you're wearing a Bulls uniform when you close your eyes or when you tell your your kids about it what what do you recall I think just the um, 
it's it's almost like I said it's trying to remember it. It almost feels like did it, it a, a dream, you know what I mean? Because it's it's one of those storybook kind of things. I mean, he knew it was the last shot too. I mean, we had shirts made that said "Last Dance" on them. I mean, everybody knew this was going to be the last year that that run, and so just being a, a part of it and and you know, albeit a, a fly on the wall. I mean, I was you know uh, practicing every day and didn't get a chance to I actually was in a suit because I didn't get the dress back then you didn't get the dress if you're on the injured list you didn't get the dress for the for the for the playoffs but um but just you know seeing it happen and just all the wives had flown out there on private plane and just you know kind of watching the the arena fall silent and just the jubilation and feeling it it's hard to describe I mean anybody who's won a championship kind of knows how you feel when, when something like that happens but on that stage, on that scale, it's kind of kind of otherworldly, you know. I mean, because it is. A, you watch those guys from Clemson last night, guys that have put four years in, some of those linemen in tears, right, just because of how much work and effort and time and sweat and blood has gone into to achieving that. What was Phil Jackson like to play for? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You know, Phil's laid back. I think the one thing that Phil does that is probably his better than any coach I've ever played for is he instills confidence in guys. Um, I remember when, and he lets guys be themselves, but also tries to help them learn how changing themselves can benefit the team, you know. But I remember when I was when I got called up, um, and that first time I got called up and we were on that West Coast road trip, we had a lot of injuries. So I started playing quite a bit, and we were playing, um, I think it was the Clippers, and I ended up playing like 30 minutes that game. And we were in overtime, and uh, 
you know, ball got passed to me when I was open, and I probably should have shot it, and I didn't shoot it because I'm thinking it's overtime. I'm a rookie. You know, I'm not going to shoot it. And timeout gets called, you know, probably 30, 45 seconds later, and he goes through the whole spiel in the timeout as we're walking out. He grabs by the arm. He goes, if you're open again like that, I don't ever want to see you pass up that shot. And so can you imagine me? I'm a, you know, 19-year-old kid, rookie with Chicago Bulls, and the head coach kind of gives you that confidence. I think that was what he was – so good at wait you were nine you were 19 you know, as a rookie i'm sorry 19 19 or 23 actually, yes. the time. i was I'm i was sorry. gonna say i was like damn wish, you were like 15 you're like 15 your freshman year at wake i wish i wish i was 19 when i was a rookie i liked lebron and getting paid but um but you know when you're a young guy you know coaches have that that ability to be either tear you down or build you up you know what i mean and yes. i think i know that phil his ability to relate to pro guys or any players, and, and challenge them um, to be better, but also, you know, give them that confidence to, to, to be their best, you know. And, and, and then that was something different for me. I mean, he made me feel confident and that I was there for a reason, that I deserved to be there, um, and it gives you the freedom to make plays and, and play your best. Was Pippen that good? Pippen was, was – um, Pippen was – I mean, Pippen, again, I think was, was just kind of one of those guys that um, – he would have been, he's one of those guys that have been successful in any era he played in. Um, and people forget he's what, 6'9? I mean, people forget Tony Kukoc was 6'10. I mean, we had 6'10, 6'9 guys that play like guards. And Pippen was one of those guys that obviously I think having Michael helped him grow as a player, especially as a young player, probably and be able to develop without a lot of stress. But just, um, you know, another guy that I saw not just score, but just do so many things, guard every position just about um, um, super, you know, intelligent player, hard worker, um, you know, unbelievable player. How did you, you and Dennis Rodman are about as polar opposite in terms mm-hmm. of uh, of um, maybe faith and how you live your life. Like what, what, what was the Dennis, your Dennis Rodman experience like? Um, Dennis was a quiet guy, a hard worker. I think the great things about sports is <clears throat> people of different, like you said, whose lives can be totally different. When you, when you come together for that kind of com- that the common goal and the kind of common sweat that goes into winning games, you sort of have that, that automatic sort of connector. Um, but you know, he came and did his work and he was, I mean, he was always in the weight room when he wasn't at practice. Um, you know, he was occasionally a little, <laughs> a little tardy at times to come into practice. And, uh, the great, so my, my best Dennis Robin story is, you know, the Bulls do secret Santa every year. So, you, you know, you draw a name and you got somebody's name. And I think back then the minimum, the, the, the amount was like $500 was your, was your Christmas gift. So I pulled Dennis Robin's name for secret Santa for Christmas. So, you know, what do you get Dennis Robin for secret Santa for Christmas? I mean, that's, that's, so a, that's a question for the ages. I got him a uh, solid silver money clip with his daughter's name engraved on it. There you go. Because um, he, he had a daughter that he was very fond of. So, uh, But, again, another guy that you talk about, a little bit of a specialist, obviously, but super intelligent player. Yep. Yep. I, mean, I mean, understands the game, and that's why he fit into the triangle so well. Um, really, really bright player, quiet guy, never said a whole lot. Um, but just uh, um, awesome player. Um, you, you, know, you, know, it's, you know, it's funny. The Secret Santa thing reminds me of a story. Um, I think Brent Price told me this story. I think it was, I think it was Brent. Yeah, Brent Price. He was with the Jazz, 
and the Jazz had uh, what was the dude's name? The big dog that they had. Uh, his nickname was Big uh, Poster Tag. No, 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 Big Dog. Um, uh, shoot, he wore the goggles. He played on on that Utah oh, yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Antoine Carr. Ant- yes, and yeah. Antoine Carr. So um, they were going on a road trip. This is like late nineties, right? They're going on a road trip, mm-hmm. and uh, they get all their per diem. They get a couple hundred bucks in per diem. Because they're going to be gone for like 10, 11 days, right? So they get like 600 bucks in per diem, whatever it was, 700 bucks in per diem. Yeah. And uh, their first stop on the road, they're like in Minnesota. And they both decide they want to go to Best Buy. And so he, um, Brent, I remember, told me like, yeah, I walked up to the counter because I wanted to buy like old disc man and some headphones. And it was like, you know, everything all in. I needed some cash from Big Dog. So we both break out envelopes of cash, right? Here's a yeah. six foot nine black dude with, with glass, with Oakley's on. And we're both exchanging like hundreds of hundreds of dollars. But again, it's, <laughs> it's more the, it's, it's more the, like a, what, what, what appears in stereotypes in the outside and the inside is completely different or in the reality of it. And Dennis Rodman's a perfect right. example of that. A lot of that's media driven and he was kind of yeah. ahead of the curve and some of it's real, right? Like how he lived his personal yeah. life. He was kind of a wild guy, but in terms of doing his job and doing his work, like that dude was a freak athlete, could switch and guard any yeah. position. People forget when he was the worm, he was the best defense player in the league. And then he made himself mm-hmm. into the best rebounder in the league and didn't take shots that he couldn't make. And that's why he was a great teammate. Right. Yeah, for sure. And and that's you talk about like we said earlier, you know, guys knowing they're finding a role in a niche. The Ben Wallace is the world who, you know, find a way to make a make a career. Okay, so you get done playing and you played remind me of the story in Russia, because we were play, we played against each other in Russia, we hung out a couple times. I remember you telling me that you kept getting pulled over on the way to practice because you had a baseball hat <laughs> yeah. on, is that right? Well, so you know, you played in Russia, so you know it's a different different culture altogether. And uh, you know, in in Moscow where we were, I was playing with CSKA Central Sports Club of the Army with you know the main club. And uh, in Moscow, they have a lot of policemen standing on corners, you know, and they just kind of have a billy stick and they just wave you over. For for why I don't I don't know, but I had gotten pulled over a couple of times where they just waved me over. I speak no Russian whatsoever, um, and and they would start you know t- talking in Russian and telling me something, and I would. I'd have to call the guy on the team who speaks a little bit of English and be like, hey, can you talk to this police officer? We had an assistant general manager who spoke English, and he would talk to him, and he'd get back on the phone and be like, look, pay him 300 rubles, and they'll let you go, you know, which is what, like two two bucks maybe. I don't know. And so after that, it happened a few times. Finally, one day, I got stopped. I didn't have my passport. Um, and, you know, the guy's threatening to, like, take me to jail and all this kind of stuff. So the team actually ended up giving me a card, that had my picture on it that had the Central Sports Club of the Army logo that I called my get-out-of-jail-free card. So when I, if I got pulled over for some reason, I'd just show it to the police and they would let me go. So, But it's a different world over there. You know, you've been there. It, it's, it's crazy over there. I thought they told you to stop wearing a baseball hat because that's how they knew you were an American. No, well, I probably, I mean, I may have. But they, one of the things, the, uh, the guy who was our GM had said, I, I think it was like, the second time I got pulled over, I was like, why do I keep getting stopped? He said, you might be driving too slow. Yeah, because those, those those dudes would have like a blue light in the top of their car and just weaving around people. And it, yeah. there, there, are no, yeah. there are no rules there, right? It's just no. survival, you sur- know, survival of the fittest. Yeah, yeah. And, and two, three Mercedes pull up, one Galata wagon, two sedans. With one, one, one of them's got a light on the car and you know, 15 guys get out of the cars and three of them go in the restaurant and the other 12 stand by the cars. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's actually what our what our owner was like. He would come in with a um, uh, with handcuffs, a handcuff on his wrist and a handcuff on his. When we beat you guys. It was a it was, mm-hmm. it was it was a it was a glorious victory for our team, and oh, yeah. we got under the table under the table uh, cash bonuses. Oh yeah, yeah. We we got when we got off the plane from the we went to the final four. We won to get to make it to the European final four. We were handed envelopes as we stepped off the plane. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a wild, wild world. You get done playing, and then once you, you you went and coached at Greensboro College for a year, didn't you? I did. I did. I was uh, I was thirty. Um, my I had spent I had spent the last that year we won the D League championship, and I had actually played with Golden State with Eric Musselman for a, for a ten day. Um, I had some offers overseas, but my daughter, my fourth child, was going to be born in August, and Greensboro called me looking for a coach. And it was a chance to try coaching without having to move my family. Um, and so I jumped in and, and did that for a year. What'd you learn from that experience? Uh, you know, coaching's hard. <laughs> I think a lot of people, you know, coaching's hard. And, uh, um, I think that anytime you, you, you get in charge of, of young men, uh, and trying to get egos and people to mold together, but I also learned that I love it. Um, I did enjoy it. Um, but it was also, I kind of knew pretty quickly that wasn't the level I wanted to stay at. Um, and so, I actually took a move and went to a you know private school to be the athletic director and, and run a basketball academy there from there. Okay, so then in '09 you went to work for didn't you go work for uh, Dino at 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 Wagon Lake? I did, I did. I went back there. I, I went to South Country Day was a private school locally for about four years, and then when Pat Kelsey left and a staff position on his staff opened up, I interviewed and, and came on board with him there in '09. And then you worked for Buzz as well. Why didn't work, yep. why didn't it work with Buzz? Because Buzz is a super bright guy who was yep. successful at Air Force, and he's he's a very well regarded NBA assistant. I have my own kind of beliefs as to why it didn't work, but you were there, you were boots on the ground. Why, why didn't it work for yeah. Buzz? Well, I think first of all, when he the, the year he came, I mean, I I was on the staff before and got lucky enough to stay around. Um, you know, we had a supposed top twenty recruiting class that that really was not as good as projected. Um, and, and not a, some guys that character wise maybe weren't the best fit and work ethic wise for the best fit, especially for Coach Bizdelic's style. And so, you know, his year one, you know, we win two weeks into practice. I came home to my wife and said, we'll be lucky to win 10 games. And we won nine, you know, um, because I just knew we weren't talented enough. We didn't have the right fit. And so I think the first year hurt really, really bad because that class had so much hype. And then we struggled so much. Um, and then you kind of have to start trying to recover from that with recruiting, and we got better in year two. But by then, there was so much negativity. Um, I'm sure you remember a lot of the stuff that was going on. Um, it made it really, really hard for us to do our jobs because of all the negativity. What, what's, what, um, what's interesting about that to me is, and, I, you know, look, I know you. I can't tell you I know you, like, keep in touch every day. But I also know you as an incredibly positive person. And mm-hmm. it's one thing to have that sort of negativity surrounding the program. Obviously, you know, you had the death of Skip and then, yep. you know, Dino, a lot of people around the program told me that Dino wasn't given the right opportunity, you know, that 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 that, that, that was the best the program was doing. Then you bring in a Buzz yep. and Buzz can be Buzz can be a little negative. What what's that like for you emotionally, right? You got four kids, this is a school you love and a job that mm-hmm. you you really want and a sport that you love, but all that negativity going to work. What's that like for you? Well, you know, it's hard. I mean, losing is hard anyway, you look at it. I mean, losing it, uh, you know, I don't like losing at checkers, much less losing uh, a lot of games at my alma mater. And I think, uh, 
we were all really surprised that Dino got let go. Um, you know, I really felt like that maybe wasn't the time to do that. Um, but that's not, my, you know, I'm not the AD and I'm not the person in charge. Um, but, um, he, you know, you know, cause you, you've been in it and you're, you got family who's been in it, how much, you know, effort and time and sweat and phone calls and how many hours go into college coaching. And so I did that for my alma mater because of one, cause I love my alma mater, but two, cause I love basketball and three, cause I like to win. And so when, you know, you're losing, um, it's, it, it's bad enough to lose. It's worse to lose when you're at your alma mater, a place you really love. And then and it, 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 it takes a toll. It takes a toll. Okay, I mean, so it, it so so four years of my life for sure. So yeah, but so then then Danny comes in and he doesn't retain you. Like this mm-hmm. is your alma mater. You're you're yep. like arguably the greatest all around athlete in the history of your alma mater. You're nothing but a mm-hmm. loyal soldier. Like no one has ever any, ever had anything bad to say about you. Um, yep. You go home. You got four kids. Your wife. What, what what do you remember about that experience? Well, I mean, it was crushing at the time. I mean, my wife actually is a really talented writer. She wrote a nice or a thing on that I have online about how you know basketball kind of become an idol for us, and it was something that because you have to, it has to be, you know, at that level, it has to be like all encompassing. It has to be, and um, at first you're hurt, um, and and you're and you're kind of like man, but to be honest with you, looking back now best thing that ever happened to me why i mean I, it, it's well because i think i got a i think i'm able to enjoy my life a little bit better now yeah. um you know i like I said I'm, i think i'm a pretty positive guy and i'm a hard worker and i put in my time and all that kind of stuff and you know yeah i mean if you'd asked me five six years ago as head coach and awake my dream job i probably would have told you yeah you know um but there's a there's a there's a life that goes with that and I won't even get into the the bad side of that business, which we all know is there, evidenced by the trials, that I'm able to step away from now and I can, you know, something I love so much like basketball and even Wake, when it's so negative, like when losing those games and being a part of it, you don't want to, that, don't, that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that isn't what you want that memory to be. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that, so that, I'm that, able to get away from that and enjoy it and just be like, okay, that's not my life's not defined by that any by that you know what I mean I can I can move on be successful in business do some see my kids play I mean see my kids play in high school I got to coach my three my two boys in high school I mean I wouldn't change that for the world so you get to coach your your boys in high school and you get to you take over the program mm-hmm. um, what what was that like considering all the experiences that you've been through now you're coaching your boys in high school what was that like yeah it was awesome but hard at the same time. Um, you know, it's, we're a competitive family and I'm a competitive dude. And, um, you know, I joke with people off, off a lot of times. I lose my religion at coaching faster than anything else I do. You know, it's just because I'm passionate about it and I love it. And, um, you know, Mark Pope, coach out of Utah Valley. Sure. One of the things he and I, he and I are close and, um, I called him, asked his advice before I took the job. I said, what do you think is, man, you have to do it because it's going to be really, really hard. Well, somebody else, time, that's somebody else, great stuff happened. Yeah, and then somebody else will coach your kid, and then it's even harder. Yeah, yeah, and so I kind of knew that opportunity didn't come along every time. I was working for uh, a company, Dario Restaurants, that was I was blessed enough that they said, "Yeah, take the time to do that on the side." And uh, I mean, we struggled a little. My we struggled my first year. We were six one sixteen games, but then you know, year two, we we kind of had a special year. My Cooper's senior year, we went twenty seven and three. Um, and then we graduated some and 
my last year there, Maverick, my younger son, was, was hurt all year with a with a um, a um, torn labrum labor, in his hip. Right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, he tore a labrum in his hip, and so he was trying to play on it, and then was out. So we struggled, but it's one of those things. I don't, I can't get that time back. Um, so I'm glad I had it with him. That's pretty awesome. Um, I, I do want to ask you about you know the death of your son. Um, mm-hmm. Because you guys have been very open about it, and it's in, and mm-hmm. and the ups and downs of your professional career as a player, the ups and downs yep. of your coaching career, um, you think those are going to be? Hey, look, if it, and it's like Eddie Sutton, who I played for, used to tell us we, you know, at a miserable practice, like if this is the hardest thing in your life, you're going to have a hell of a life, right? Right, right. Um, uh, for people who don't know about your son, he was nine, 19 years old, right? Yep. And Riley, and he's uh, yep. And um, ha- what happened? Uh, passed away in a car accident in, on September nineteenth of two thousand fifteen. He was actually up in uh, Richmond. He taken his girlfriend to the airport early in the morning, and then uh, foggy morning, and didn't see a curve, and you know, didn't have his seatbelt on, and you know, it's a, it's a it's a hard thing. It's just one of those things you you don't wish on your worst enemy, and. Um, also, too, his whole career in high school was when I was at Wake, and that makes and I missed a lot of that. So you miss that, but it's like you said, you go through a lot as a player, and even as a coach, losing games, and you think, man, this is terrible, right? And you gnash your teeth, and you think it's the end of the world, and then something like this happens, you think, you know, no, I can't think of anything worse, you know. And I, like I said, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but um, it, it's you know, we get up every day and move forward and. Uh, and with the grace of God and, and, and uh, count our blessings that we still have three great kids with us. How do you, how do you get up and be who you are and God fearing man who wants to be leader of your family? You know, you have your wife I mean, you guys have been together since high school. Like what, what yep. is the, if you, if you were to give anybody advice going through a similar kind of tough time and then how I just, I don't even know how you get up out of bed. I don't, I don't, right. I, I, I look at, I, I knew I was going to talk to you today and I, I, my son's nine years old and he's like, Hey dad, will you lay, lay next to me? And I know I don't like laying next to him because I always fall asleep in his room and then I wake up in the middle of the night and it's hard to go back yep. to sleep. But then I was thinking like, you know, like, like you said, you never get those days back. How, how do you get up out of bed? Well, I mean, I think you do it for your, your the people you have left, you know, and, and, and with the hope that you know, you're going to see him again one day. Um, I think you, you, you live the best life you can here hoping that, you know, knowing that one day you're going to, we're going to be reunited. And for me too, I think for my wife, it's, it's, we owe it to our kids that we still have one. And, and I think that you, um, I know that it, it's, it's for people going through it now. I mean, it, it, it's, it's indescribable. I can't, you can't, there's nothing people can say. There's nothing that you can do. You know, you got to just try to try to find the hope to hold on to. And, uh, focus on for me it was you know i'm a worker so i, I worked you know i mean I, I i probably worked more than i should you know during that time but uh i worked and and the other thing i would say is that with your kids um you know you made an interesting comment about you know the ups and downs of, of athletics for example like basketball i have two boys who are who are really good high school players who had opportunities to play in college and decided not to play basketball in college and I think a lot of the reason they didn't is because because of the so much of the negative you experience when you lose, you know, that the highs of winning after you've been through something that we've gone through, 
you don't want to put yourself through the negatives. You know what I mean? You kind of like, you know what? I, I just want to, I want to, I want to find something to hold on to. I want to, I want to, not an easy life, but I, I don't need the headache and the strife that comes with, you know, beating my head against the wall and putting in the time I need to put in because, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen things that other people hadn't seen, experienced things other people hadn't experienced. Um, you mentioned uh, coaching Cooper and coaching Mav. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's another question I have for you: Coaching, how do you coach your kids? How do you how do you do how do you how do you do it with without um, without resentment? You know, you don't want them to resent you, and yet you you know yeah. them, and you want to get the most out of them, and you know what they have. In, like no one believes in their kid like the father, and especially a guy like right. you who's played at the highest level. So you know all the different things it's going to take. How do you do it? Like I said, it's not easy. You know, I, um, Greg McDermott. Um, I had asked him one day on the recruiting trail. He was like, "It's e- it's easy if your if your kid is clearly the best or clearly the worst. Anywhere in between is really hard." You know, so um, you for me, we I tried really hard to be coach at, co- at practice and to be dad at home. Um, that's not easy because you know, as you know, when your kids play for somebody else, you get to, you coach them at home. You know, you, they come home and you're like, well, this is what you've done. So I tried to get all that out in practice um, and tried to get all that out on the court so that when we were home, we could just be, just be, you know. Is that doable? Not, not that is I that, talk is about it, ball. Is that doable? No, it's not doable. No, absolutely not. <laughs> For anybody who's competitive, it's not. Um, because, you I mean, just like you would if you're his normal dad and he's coached by somebody else, you still want to. You want to have dad feedback into the conversation versus coach feedback because they're two different things. You know, they're two different things. And uh, for us, it, 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 uh, it was it the right thing. I don't know. Um, could someone else have done a better job for him than I did in high school? I know we had some great positive experiences, um, but it's hard. I mean, there were there were there were times where um, I wanted to quit. They wanted to quit just because. Uh, you know, we're, we're both comp- we're all competitive, and uh, my wife didn't want to come to the games. You know, because uh, she couldn't watch me yell at him anymore. Correct. But, I, ha- I uh, had that. La- I had that last year, and I've I've been much better this year. She's like, I can't go. Yeah, I can't go. I yeah. Can't, well, can't. It, it, it's as you know. I mean, it's 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 hard as a parent um, to. It's one as hard as a parent to watch your kids fail. Yep. Um, and then when you have to coach them, and you're the one teaching them it makes it even harder. Um, but I think I did a pretty good job of treating them. I really tried hard to treat them just like I would anybody else, you know, really think about everything I said. Um, if anything, I made them work harder than everybody else and I had higher expectations of them yep. than I did anybody else. So they probably had it tougher um, because, you know, I probably, I, I chewed them with some aggressive counseling much more than I would anybody else. <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've made this point to a lot of people and, there's a good amount of people who who disagree with me. Uh, my belief is in terms of paying college athletes, like, look, the benefit you're going to receive from the promotion you get as a college athlete, you're going to see for the rest of your lifetime. I've experienced mm-hmm. it because I'm reasonable enough to believe, to know that though I made some money playing basketball and I'm not sure I, I ever reached my potential both in college and as a pro, I was able to create kind of a name image and likeness for myself uh, on the back of, Oklahoma State right. that I never would uh, otherwise. Now you mm-hmm. were a great athlete uh, across the board and could have pursued professional avenues potentially in football. Did in basketball, but you worked for Dario. Okay, you you have mm-hmm. a, you have a really good job, and like you said, you've had other opportunities outside of sports. 
how much has your time in sports at Wake benefited you in terms of your ability uh, outside of the sport of basketball? Well, I mean, I think it's invaluable, and I think that's why athletes still go still go choose to go to college, um, especially in the high profile sports like. I mean, basketball is the one – football, obviously, a lot of kids know they're not ready to do right out of high school. So they go to football, and nobody really is up in arms about, you know, that because that's the avenue those guys have to develop and become professional players. Um, but you you mentioned it about picking back on what you had at, Ohio, at Oklahoma State. You know, right now a high school kid can go out of high school and go play in the D League and get paid a pretty decent salary. Yep and play basketball professionally, right, and develop themselves and to try to become a professional. Now, why don't they do it? They don't, because yeah. they know they can go to Duke or Kentucky and get, every, get the best meals, the best training, the best travel. Millions of people automatically in their fan base and on their team because they go to that university. Now, you could argue that that, that fan base is built up over time because of the athletes that have played there, but – you know, people root for Carolina every year, no matter who's who's putting on a Carolina uniform. Um, they're not going to stop rooting for Carolina because of the numbers change. You know, and those guys who go to Carolina or Duke or Wake or Oklahoma State, you know, they make a decision right out of high school that is better for their personal brand and their security as an athlete to go to college. Because if you go to college and you don't play well your freshman year and you were supposed to be a lottery pick, you stay in college and they keep they keep bringing you along until you're ready to go get paid millions. You know, you go to the D League and you don't play well. No, Guess what? and, and yeah, right. Estonia. You ha- plus, you have a family, right? You have a basketball family yep. to, to to fall back on. And and look, it's obviously been hard for you because the guy that you played for is no longer there, right? And mm-hmm. and so it's it's different. But you still those guys that you played with, played for, those are your family. In addition to the university, which however much it helps you, it's going to help you a whole hell of a lot more. It's going to help some regular regular student. And if you don't have, if you went to the G League or you went straight to pros, like I don't even know what you do. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta ask the people who you played for professionally for a job or for advice. And their advice is going right. to be, dude, you got to go back to college and get a degree because very few people get hired without a degree. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at the, um, you know, obviously the amount of athletes that are that are, yeah, there's some guys who are making are multi million dollar stars and they're going to go and be NBA players or NFL players or tennis stars or whatever the case may be. But, you know, the vast majority of them are going to uh, hopefully get a degree uh, and fall back on their contacts and develop and the, the, the career offices at the schools to help them get a, get a job. I mean, you think about uh, – I know you hear stories all the time. A lot of guys who end up going on and getting jobs who are athletes, um, you know, it's an alumni at the university who, yep. knew, who, who, who gave them the job, you know, or got them in the door or whatever the case may be. You know, I don't disagree that they should get, and they already get paid. I know some people don't get paid. They already get a stipend. Um, they're getting paid. Um, my dad played at Old Dominion back in the day, and they used to get laundry money back then. They used to get a little bit of spending money on the side. And, um, but it's kind of a hard door to open because I don't know where it stops yep. um, with that. Um, you know, and they say, well, I can, what about my likeness? Use my likeness outside. Well, okay, you know, I mean, you want to go sell your autograph. How, you know, then you can't police, you know, an alumni giving you, a million dollars for your autograph if they want to because you're because you go to Alabama. So I'm a big believer. If you want to be a professional, then go professional. And if you want to be an athlete in college, student athlete, go to go to college. Um, Of course, I would be in favor of them putting the baseball rule in for basketball as well, just like they do for football. 
Uh, last thing, last thing. You've been through a lot, uh, personally, mm-hmm. professionally. I know you still love basketball. Basketball is still very much in your heart. You mentioned Eric Musselman, who, of course, you played for for a short period of time. You mentioned, you know, Steve Kerr, of course. Um, you have connections in this sport. Will you? Will you ever get back in? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I might one day. Um, you know, right now I've got a daughter who's a freshman volleyball player at West Forsyth. So uh, one of the reasons I got out of coaching when I got into the, what I'm doing now is I just didn't. I had opportunities. I just didn't want to move my family. Um, I grew up here. My wife's family grew up here. Um, Maybe once my daughter's out of high school, I might consider it, but I really enjoy what I'm doing. I'm working with a great company. We're, you know, we're, we're growing and we're very successful in what we do here um, locally. So I'm enjoying it right now. You know, I don't, I don't miss, um, you know, the late night film session trying to figure out how we couldn't guard the pick and roll. (laughs) Okay. But but I also, but I also miss the competitiveness as well. Okay, I said that the last thing I lied. Uh, you're six <laughs> foot two guard from Greensboro, North Carolina. You're obviously a very good athlete, and very competitive. If you were going to give advice to a kid and say, "This is how you how do you make it? Whatever level it is, this is how do you how do you make it? What's what's the two or three things that somebody should legitimately focus on in terms of how do I make it? Because how do I make it is the same in high school, is the same in college, yep. is the same as a professional. How do I make it? There's no substitute for work. Um, I, I think, you know, I've always, there was a good, somebody put a good thing up, Bob Huggins had the other day about, you know, you can't cheat the game. Um, putting in the work is one, uh, but also, um, because when you put in the work, you believe, you'll develop a belief in yourself. I'm a big believer, and you got to believe in yourself for anybody else will believe in you. And putting in the work, and I just think a lot of times, uh, players don't understand the amount of work it really takes um, to be successful yeah. and to be good at something at the level you have to be at to play in college or to even be on your high school team. And the next thing I'll say is focus on where you're at. If you're an eighth grader, be the best middle school player you can be. And then if you're a really good middle school player, then you'll go to high school. You know, I think too many times guys look at down the road and say, okay, they're looking at what LeBron's doing or this and that, you know, just focus on being, you know, today being the best practice, being the best player at practice today, and then be the best player at practice tomorrow, and then when the game comes, be the best player on the court. And if you'll keep doing that day in and day out, putting in the work to be the best that day, then good things will happen. Hey man, I wish you and your family nothing but blessings. I really appreciate you joining me, and I, I think I, I think your words and your your life experience going to help a lot of people. Uh, thanks for being our guest on All Ball. All right, Doug. Appreciate it, man. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Let's welcome in a guy who's a really, really talented writer, uh, analyst, reporter. Like, he does a little bit of everything. Like, I, I, I wouldn't, if I characterized him as a writer, that'd be kind of classically unfair, right? Because you see him on TV, if you're in New York, if you know anything about basketball, you read Zach's blog, um, whether it's on Twitter or you just go right to the website. He's Adam Zagori, joins us. He also writes for the New York Times. You see him on uh, SNY in New York. And Zach, I want to start with a, a couple of things. I saw St. John's lose to Villanova last night at the time of, of this recording. And look, I obviously they got screwed in that Seton Hall game, although had they mis- made free throws, it wouldn't have mattered. But you've seen kind of the evolution of this Chris Mullen team. First, when Mully got the job, did you think it would work? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on, Doug. I, I was at that uh, center and pavilion at Villanova last night for the first time for that game, and that place is really nice. If, I don't know if you've been there. I have I have not been since they've, they've redone it, obviously, this year. I like that they kept it the same size. It's not, you know, they didn't they didn't add seats, which is the mistake that so many people make. But, okay, so, yeah, so, so take me back. Like, I'm sure I could search on Twitter and try and find what you wrote when Mully got the job. Mully gets the job. What was your immediate reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I think I was probably a little dubious. You know, he hadn't coached before. He certainly hadn't coached in college before. You know, it all comes down to recruiting anytime you bring in a new coach and, you know, who their staff is going to be, what kind of players they're going to be. The press conference was kind of funny because there was a lot of, you know, older people, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who I think thought Chris Mullen was going to snap his fingers and it was going to be 1985 once again and, St. John's is going to go back to the Final Four. Uh, so I think I was probably a little doubtful. And then, you know, obviously they struggled the first few years. Um, you know, he, he hired Matt Abdelmasa and Slice as his assistants. It, it appears that there was some sort of uh, power struggle and struggle over philosophy on how to recruit. Slice wanted top-notch high school kids. Matt wanted to go the transfer route, which he did at Iowa State. Uh, you know, fast forward three or four years, and Matt's recruited most of the team. They've got eight transfers. That's what my story in the Times was. Yep. Now they finally have a mature uh, team that's ready to do some damage. How good are they? I'm sorry? How good are they? Um, I mean, I think they they should make the NCAA tournament. I think if they don't make the NCAA tournament, it'll be a failure for Chris. Um, obviously, it create a little bit of a buzz here in New York, which is a, obviously a pro town. But if St. John's can get to the tournament, you know, Mike Francesa and all the New York people jump on the bandwagon here. Uh, you know, I think they could win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. 
Um, is Ponza pro? Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to some NBA guys last night at the game, Doug. There were about 16 NBA guys there. You know, Shamori Ponds is only about six foot, six one. So uh, size is definitely uh, not a strong point. But, you know, the NBA guys I was talking to were saying, look, in today's NBA, you know, it's totally different from the NBA 15 years ago. We probably couldn't have made the NBA then. But it's really all about shooting and scoring now. You can definitely shoot it. Um, you know, he, he got a little uh, cold in the second half last night, but he's had numerous games of, you know, 30, 35, 40 points. Last half. So I think he can, you know, come off somebody's bench and be a third guard or, or help off the bench. Yeah, I think I think the, my, my, my question actually is can he guard or will he guard, right? Is he tough and will he guard defensively? Like, yeah, that's the – there's lots of guys that can score – but how many do you give up at the other end? Because now, even though you don't, you don't have to play post defense like you used to on a lot of guys. If you're not tough, they just they just eat you alive. No, that's definitely true. And I think, um, you know, I think he plays pretty good D under Chris. They they stress that, and you know, he's going to go when he works out for NBA teams and go through the process. He's going to be told he he has to do that. Uh, okay, I want I wanted your perspective on Zion. He's better than I thought he would be at things other than dunking, right? And I think, I, I actually think the Duke thing's been really good for him. And and my fear was, hey, last year, Krzyzewski waved the white flag and didn't make, play, didn't make him play man-to-man defense. And I was like, man, if he doesn't have to play man-to-man and he doesn't become a better shooter and he doesn't get, I'm still cautious about the weight because I don't know, I just don't know how you're going to lose weight with his body type, and I also don't know how you can play 82 games plus playoffs with that body type. But he, he seems to play hard, seems to have a high basketball IQ, seems to like to pass and be a good teammate, and his shooting, though not great, uh, is better than, I think, maybe my perspective or how, how he was advertised. Uh, what's your perspective on Zion now that we've seen him 15 games or so? Yeah, it's a couple things. I mean, uh, you raised some good points there. I talked to some NBA guys before the season began, after they just had played their games in Canada, and those guys were worried about his weight. You know, they I think they list him at what two eighty or two eighty five. Yep. He may be closer to he may be closer to two seventy now. But the NBA guys were saying, Look, you know, as you grow up as a man and get older you're gonna add weight and you're gonna add weight in the NBA. So it's not even so much that he weighs two seventy or two eighty now, but what's he gonna weigh in five years down the road in the NBA or or 10 years down the road. Um, But I think, you know, he's gone from being, you know, questionable. Maybe he was the first pick. Maybe he's the second pick behind RJ to now, you know, everybody agrees he's the number one pick. You know, ESPN is is feasting off this kid and, you know, getting, we're getting daily updates on him. And, you know, they did stress that he made three out of four three-pointers last night, which uh, Mike Schmitz, who's their, draft guy at ESPN, you know, he made some good points. If, if Zion can just prove that he can hit a standstill three-pointer and force defenses to close out, um, you know, at least, at least make defenses respect it, um, then he's really going to be, you know, trouble in the NBA. And, you know, we've just never seen anybody like this kid. My, our friend Mike DeCourcy wrote a great story on the Sporting News breaking down all the comparisons, you know, LeBron, Charles Barkley, Larry Johnson, and how he's really none of these guys. He's different from all these guys. He weighs more than most of them. And he's just uh, an athletic freak. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch him and Bull Bull, who's obviously injured. But, you know, they're such unique body types. 
where are they going to be in three or five years in the NBA? Yeah, Rodney Rogers is the guy that a lot of people have pointed. He's like a more athletic Rodney Rogers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. But uh, he's just um, you know, it's. I think we're just lucky to watch it, and um, you know, it'll I, I, when they play the first NCAA tournament game. I mean, the hype is just going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, there are going to be so many reporters and TV cameras. Everybody's going to want to see how Zion does in his first tournament game, how they do in the ACC tournament. You know, all that kind of thing. Um, you're in New York. You cover, you know, not just, obviously, you know, high school, college sports ridiculously well, but also the Knicks. Okay. So the Knicks plan is, hey, you're not going to play Przingis this year. going to sit him out. Right. And uh, well, we don't know that, but okay. But okay. But what's the likelihood he, pl- like, are you going to stick him in the last 10 games, 15 games of the season when you're, you're trying to tank? They're, they're, supposed, they're supposed to reevaluate him um, next month, you know, Doug, in February. You know, it's, I see both sides of it. You know, they're 10 and 30 or whatever. What's the point in bringing him back? You know, why do it now? The counter argument is, you know, he's competitive. He's going to want to play. And, you know, maybe they want to show Kevin Durant or whatever free agents that, hey, Porzingis can still play a little bit. Um, okay, but their plan is to go and get, try and go get one of the big fish, right? Yeah. How likely do you think it, that is to happen? Well, it's funny. I mean, you know, it raises a whole separate question about, like, um, you know, as reporters, how do you ask a guy like Kevin Durant or Zion Williamson, you know, hey, do you want to play in New York? How much do you want to play in New York? It's always kind of an awkward dance uh, when you ask these kids. You know, we did talk to Zion when he was here in New York with Duke about playing for the Knicks, and Stephen Bondi at the Daily News asked Kevin Durant flat out last night, um, after the Warriors game, you know, is there any truth to these rumors you want to play in New York? And, you know, he kind of smiled and seemed flattered by the question. He didn't say no. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't reject it outright. So it's sort of this dance with both NBA free agents and elite college prospects that they do with the media where, you know, the media has to ask about it. Some people get upset that we ask the kids about it, but, but you have to do it. Um you know, if the Warriors go on to win another championship, it's kind of hard to, you know, I could see him wanting to stay there, especially since they can pay him $30 million more than any other team. Um, so, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I can't pretend to tell you what Kevin Durant's thinking. Yeah, but you also, but, you, know, you, you also know, you know, you know the Knicks, right? And I do think it's changed with Fisdale. Like, Fisdale kind of makes it kind of cool, a cool landing spot. Um, yeah. Like, I can tell you, the Clippers think they're getting. Kawhi Leonard like they they have they're telling people like hey we're getting Kawhi Leonard doesn't mean it happens are the Knicks doing the same with Kevin Durant oh they're definitely not telling people that no do I think the Knicks are a better run more functional organization uh than they were under Phil Jackson without a doubt you know the players really seem to like David Fisdale um you know Steve Mills and Scott Perry seem to have a plan and you know it is interesting they do have an all African-American front office there, all African-American GM, uh, president, and now coach. Um, But, you know, again, it's like the Knicks have been so bad for so long, it takes a certain kind of player to want to come here and say, hey, I'm going to turn this around, as opposed to the trend of just, you know, I'm going to go play with my buddies on a really good team. Now, obviously, if a guy like Kevin Durant or LeBron ever, ever came to the Knicks, they would be an instant contender, you know, New York City would go nuts. Um, but it does seem like a pretty risk, you know, that that is their strategy now. 
but it does seem like a pretty risky strategy to gamble everything on your hopes that, you know, you're going to get KD or Kyrie or somebody, you know, and or that you're going to get Zion or, or R.J. Barrett. Who's the but best basketball player? Who's the those things are possible. Who's the best basketball player you've ever seen? I mean, in person? Uh, I mean, I did see LeBron a little bit, you know, in uh, he came and played in New Jersey at the uh, when they used to have the um, prime time shootout here that year. He was in high school. And, you know, Zion, Zion was a lot of fun to watch on the AU circuit. I, I covered Andrew Wiggins and, and – uh, Jabari Parker and Julius Randle that one year at the EYBL. They were all a lot of fun to watch. You didn't tell me who the best was you saw as a high school player. I mean, I saw LeBron, so i got to say that. You don't have to. You can say whoever you want. Like, I, I'm not going to shade your opinion. Like, just because he has been the best player in the NBA, like, was he the best? Was he far and away the best high school player that you saw? I'll say yes. He was, he was, he was clearly special at time and you know there was so much hype about him that was that was a big part of it that was fun you know kind of the, one of the first guys in the recent era to go straight from high school to the nba um okay last last thing then then uh and then then we gotta let you go and i know you have to go as well by the way how can i get how can people get your podcast i'm on a hiatus from my podcast right now so i'm just gonna visit yours and visit others all right, fair enough. But we can still get your blog. You're still doing your blog. You're still doing your TV stuff. And I know you're still doing your pieces. I just read the St. John's piece. So th- those things still occur, correct? Yeah, people can go to dogblog.com and, and follow me on Twitter at Adam Zagoria. If you were hiring at UCLA, okay? Now, granted, yeah. uh, there's a lot of politics. that You're hiring UCLA. You're Dan Guerrero. Who do you hire? Well, it's I mean, I talked to a bunch of people about this. I think Fred Hoybrot. First of all, I, I did talk to people about Rick Pitino. And I think that, you know, obviously from a basketball standpoint, Patino's a no-brainer. He's got a lot of baggage. You know, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. Fred Hoiberg, interesting name. He's going to be in the mix with both the Timberwolves and UCLA. You know, it sounds like his preference is to stay in the NBA and his preference is to coach. But I did talk to one guy last night who's close to the situation who said the timeline could be interesting. And if UCLA drags out, you know, into the spring – that would be more likely that Fred Hoiberg would take it as opposed to if they decide, like in March, that he might hold on away for the, for the Timberwolves. Um, you know, I think he's probably a pretty solid pick. You know, I saw Jeff Goodman threw out Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. You know, look, Bobby would win the press conference. He's got a great name. He knows how to coach. He'd draw players. I think he could do worse than Bobby Hurley. I think Eric Musselman's a solid choice, but it doesn't sound like he's really going to be in the next step. No, the, the, so I, guess, I guess my answer is Fred Royberg or, or Bobby Hill. I, but I, I put you in charge. You get to make the call. Not what they're going to do. You're making the call. Who do you do? I mean, I, you know, if I, I, I'd hire Rick Pitino if I could, uh, you know, if I could get away with it, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right because I don't think you have to pay seven, eight million dollars. I think you could pay three or four, which is what they can afford. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you may lose some fans at the press conference, but you win them all back if he gets you a national title and gets it back up and, and running. I think it's it'd be a, it's an amazing discussion. Um, all right, dude, uh, look, go ahead. Real quick, I know you got to go, but you know, look, Rick Pitino, despite everything that's happened, has never been specifically tied to knowledge of payments to Brian Bowen's father um, or to the stripper scandal. Now, I understand a lot of people don't believe that, 
but there is no direct evidence. You hire him, you know you're going to win on the court, you're going to win the press conference, but obviously there are a lot of other issues that in play. Great stuff, man. You do an awesome job. Thank you so much for giving us your insight, and we appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Doug. Anytime. Take care. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed both Adam Zagoria and Rusty LaRue in this week's edition of All Ball. Uh, if you have any basketball questions, feel free to tweet me at Gottlieb Show or hit me up on our Facebook page, the Doug Gottlieb Show Facebook page. In the meantime, tell a friend, send this to a friend, tell them to download, subscribe, and rate the podcast. Because, look, if you love basketball, you probably like this pod, and you probably have friends that love hoop and would love the pod as well. My thanks to Rusty LaRue and Adam Zagoria. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.